listening to Outstanding in the Field, a podcast by Perennia highlighting production practices, pest management, and more for field crops in Nova Scotia. I'm your host and Provincial Field Crops Specialist, Caitlin Condon. Today I'm joined by Catherine Rutherford, Living Labs Coordinator, and Carolyn Marshall, Environment and Climate Change Manager, both with the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture. We'll talk about what Living Labs is all about and about the projects that are being planned for Nova Scotia. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, You're both joining me from the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture. So to kick things off, could you tell me a little bit about your positions and roles there? Sure, so I'll go first. So I'm Carolyn Marshall and I'm the Environment and Climate Change Manager. So I oversee all of the environmental-based programs under the, uh, that the Federation has. So we have the Environmental Farm Plan, uh, we have the Species at Risk, and uh, now we have the Living Lab Program. So I'm overseeing all of those things and the team, the team members that work on that. Excellent. Okay, I'll go next. I'm Catherine Rutherford, and I'm new to the Federation of Agriculture, and I've been hired as the Living Labs Coordinator. And so in that role, I'll be helping all the different partners who are working on the Living Labs, sort of coordinating um, the project and data management and helping with the knowledge and tech transfer. Um, But my primary role will be focusing on the land swap portion of the project, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, And so I'll be, the Federation will be working on that part of the project. Awesome, thank you. So today our topic is gonna be the Living Labs project. Um, So can we start off by telling me a little bit about what the Living Labs initiative is all about? So a living lab is a concept that it's used in a lot of different sectors and different countries, and it's testing things in in real life situations. So the federal government rolled out four living labs a few years ago um, across Canada. So there was one, there's an Atlantic one that's based in PEI. Uh, and they liked the model so much that they've decided to roll it out in all the provinces. So starting this year, nine new ones have been announced in addition to the four previous ones. Uh, and they're all getting started in the different provinces and there's some that are shared across provinces. So the general concept of a living lab is it's a, for the agricultural standpoint, it's on a real working farm. So it's not a research plot. Um, it's not a research farm. It's an actual uh, functioning farm and it uses you know farm scale equipment so it's you know it's the tractor that the farmer has is the tractor that we have to use uh, and another really interesting part is the co-development part so a big part of this is not just asking research questions about what's happening in the field but what's happening kind of in the community and the social aspect so we can test methods that we know work but how do you get farmers to actually use those practices? So the main objectives of these living labs are carbon sequestration and greenhouse gas mitigation. So we know there are techniques that you can do on a farm to increase the amount of carbon in your soil and reduce the amount of greenhouse gases, but why why isn't everyone already doing them is a big part of this. So addressing Mm -hmm. that, what are the barriers to adopting these practices and how can the living lab approach the these practices in a way to get over those barriers. Great. Yeah, so uh, since there has 
they have obviously renewed the idea um, and upgraded from the original site. So it, it must be going well. It must be working so far in other areas, which is great. So what has been done already or is planned for the other provinces, especially in the Maritimes? Yeah, so the first round, uh, those four uh, initial living labs had a water focus. So they were focusing on water quality, among other things as well. But those like our, so I've said the objectives for our round of the living labs is carbon sequestration and greenhouse gas, but there's other benefits as well. So improved soil health, improved biodiversity. And it's the same with the first round, but their main objective was water along with other things like soil health. So I know the PEI lab had a lot of great different projects looking at fall and winter cover crops. They were looking at companion crops with uh, corn and potatoes and how that impact, how that can impact on like a whole watershed scale. Mm. Uh, and Ontario was looking at continuous cover crops. So cover crops that are in the ground the whole time, which was really interesting. Um, different types of tillage. Uh, and then again, they had lots of modeling to see like, what does that mean on a, on a watershed scale? And, you know, a lot of the new living labs are just getting going. Um, so we haven't had a big chance to connect with the other living labs. We're starting to have national meetings, which is really exciting. So mm. getting to talk to those other projects and there's an online community that we just, just launched. So I think that'll be really neat to see what the other projects are doing as they upload material. Awesome. Um, and we've been talking to some of the other local living labs in the Maritimes. So I know the New Brunswick group are looking at uh, enhanced forage and pasture management, and they have a really strong focus on nitrogen management. And so mm -hmm. how can tightening up your nitrogen use help decrease your living or um, your greenhouse gas emissions? New Newfoundland Living Lab is looking at how can they diversify their crop rotations and, you know, different types of vegetables and rotations and looking at a lot of use of uh, introducing composts and biochar to get that carbon sequestration up in their, uh, in their soils. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see, you know, they've got mm. really different soils up there. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to see, uh, what their sites are. Hopefully we can get some, some trips to go see some of the other provinces. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, that'd be good. No, what I like about the, the model is that it is so, um, you know, geographically specific. It's the stuff that they're looking at in each of the different living labs is, is so relevant to, um, to what's happening in that area. Whereas so often in the Maritimes, especially because we're so small, we end up pulling information that's been researched in Ontario or Quebec or wherever. And it's so nice to have that local data and so, so much more valuable for us. Yeah, I think that'll be a big part of the adoption as well, because we can show people information from other places and they're like, but is, is it going to work here is yeah. kind of a question you can get a lot. So now we'll have some of that information to, to show them. I think that's going to be really helpful. What BMPs or projects are going to be undertaken in Nova Scotia specifically? Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and so I would say that the project, the Living Labs project, is divided into four sort of broad categories. And the first is cover crops in annual cropping systems. And so quite a bit of this work already being done, but looking more specifically at different types of cover crops, species choice, and the time of termination. 
The second project focuses on the management of orchards and vineyards, so cover crops and perennial systems, um, looking at what are some of the best grass and legume mixes to have in those laneways in a vineyard or an orchard. Um, the next area is looking at repair, establishing riparian zones or shelter belts. Um, and so riparian zones along waterways, the shelter belt establishment will mostly be in uh, low bush blueberry fields. And then the fourth area is the land swap project, which we'll be um, hosting here at the Federation, where land that is in horticulture production or in annual cropping systems, a piece of that will be used um, and established into pasture, sorry, for grazing of livestock. And um, so looking at swapping out horticulture land and pasture land um, and seeing how that works. So it sounds like we're really kind of covering a lot of different industries and a lot of different production systems with those projects, which is, is great. So you've got your annual stuff, your livestock and, uh, and the perennial systems as well. So can you tell me a little bit about how these projects were developed? Like how did, how were they come up with and, and who was involved? Yeah. So part of the concept of the living lab is that it's really driven by the industry, by the people on the ground. So we started, uh, it's been just over a year now that we've started the consultation process um, with the farming community. So we had a session last year in person and also for, we did a virtual session after that. It was really well attended. It was really inspiring to see the community come out. Uh, this project seems to be, people are really interested in this project in the farming community and they wanna, they wanna ask about it, they wanna know about it. Um, so that's been really interesting to hear. So we had, um, it was a like half day session last year and just asking, you know, what topics are you interested in? What's something you want to try on your farm, but you haven't yet? Or something mm -hmm. you've heard of someone else trying that you want more information on? So we we had big, giant, you know, sticky poster pages that people could write their ideas down in, in group settings. And we put them up on the wall. And then we gave people little dots for a dot democracy where they can vote, <laughs> stick their dots on the topics that they're most interested in. Uh, so that helped us get kind of a broad idea of, of what the industry is looking at. Um, and then we kind of took those and thought, well, which ones of these that were the most popular also meet the goals of the project? So they'll help with carbon sequestration and greenhouse gas mitigation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, so we worked on our proposal and submitted that. But the great part about the living lab concept is it's constantly evolving so we're you know we're still getting feedback from producers we had additional sessions in the winter on each of our kind of different topics uh, to get feedback from from the community about you know what what about this topic is interesting what questions do you have mm -hmm. um, so we can kind of tailor it to answer those lots of engagement with the different commodity groups they've been really supportive um, so that's been really really fun and helps us get uh, you know gets at those big questions what are what are your members interested in mm -hmm. so, 
there's lots of great resources in the Nova Scotia community. We're pretty well connected. Uh, we've got a great resource here at the Federation with our environmental farm plan coordinators who are on mm -hmm. all kinds of different farms. So, you know, they can give us feedback about what they're seeing. We've met with a bunch of different specialists at Perennia, you know, what are you hearing? So there's just so many opportunities to kind of keep, keep your finger on the pulse of the farming community. Uh, that's been really great. Yeah, it's definitely a benefit of being a fairly small industry in a fairly small community is that, um, you know, we can, it's easy to stay in touch and uh, hopefully get that information shared around. So yeah. do you feel like you had pretty good representation from the different, um, the different areas, I guess, of the industry? I think we did. Yeah. Like we've, um, you know, a lot of the heads of the different commodity groups are very engaged and most of them are also farmers as well. Um, and then, you know, even just one-off conversations that someone sends an email and, and has a question or they see something we've posted, so they reach out to us. Um, so it's been really a continual, um, a continual process. So before I even came, became in this position, before I even worked for the Federation, they had kind of some initial engagement sessions that I did sit in on. Mm -hmm. And we had little breakout groups. And one of the questions was, what do you think? the strengths that Nova Scotia has that it can leverage for its living lab application oh, nice. and the, connect, the connectivity came up in almost all the groups. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Catherine, you mentioned earlier that the Federation is going to be kind of leading the uh, land swap project. Mm -hmm. um, so who are the other players and how are they involved in the other projects? Yeah, so the Federation is handling the land swap part, as you've said. So some of the other partners are um, Perennia and then the Clean Annapolis River Project. So they'll be focusing their work on the riparian zone establishment and shelter belts. So they have a lot of experience in that area already mm -hmm. and partners at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada as well. Um, they'll primarily be looking at the cover crops and perennial systems. So the management of the orchards and the vineyards. Mm -hmm. And we also have partners um, from universities. So we have researchers at Dalhousie, Faculty of Agriculture, Acadia, Cape Breton University, um, and other AFC scientists. So the main goals of the project are looking at, as Carolyn has said, the carbon sequestration, greenhouse gas mitigation, and soil health. But some of these other partners will bring in other interesting um, angles too. So we'll be investigating, for example, pollinators and biodiversity of pollinators. And if some of these shelter belt plantings, the trees and shrubs that we establish in shelter belts, if those change the biodiversity of pollinators, which are important for low bush blueberry producers. Um, yeah, so that's just one example of some of the work that our industry partners and university partners are going to be looking at. So it sounds like there's going to be um, these, these projects and the whole concept is going to be coming, um, or people are going to be coming at it from a lot of different angles and a lot of different lenses, which is awesome. Um, but that will end up with a lot of information, <laughs> I'm sure, um, that will need to be shared. And, uh, and I know that that's another big part of the project is the knowledge and tech, tech transfer. So, I know it's early. I know a lot of the projects haven't really um, officially started yet, but what sorts of knowledge and tech transfer activities are you planning to have take place? 
Yeah, we've got, we do have a new position who will be starting with us next week and their, their job title is Knowledge and Technology Transfer Coordinator. Um, so that's really exciting, you know, expanding our capacity here at the Federation. So they'll be kind of receiving all of the information from all the different parts of the living lab and disseminating it out. So, you know, there'll be lots on, on social media. They'll be curating part of our uh, webpage. So part of the NSFA webpage will be dedicated to it. They'll be writing articles in all different formats. So look for it on blogs and your local paper and the Federation newsletter. And I think a really big part of it is going to be the in-person field, the field days, the demonstration days. When we were first planning our proposal, we did a survey that showed some really interesting findings. So it was looking at, you know, what, what best management practices are you interested in and what's stopping you from doing that? And, and where do you look for your information on these things? And when we asked uh, farmers, you know, where what are your most trusted sources of information on management practices? And the number one answer was other farmers. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> so we'll be having field days at our sites. So, you know, if a producer sees something, you know, we'll be posting it widely. So if it's a practice that they're interested in or they're not sure about or they want to learn more about, you can come and see it in action and, and hear from the farmer who's doing it, you know, what they think of it. Um, we'll also be, um, so Catherine mentioned, we have a lot of university partners and we have a team at Acadia University who's going to be working with us on the socioeconomic side. So, mm -hmm. you know, what are the costs of implementing this? Very important. Practice? <laughs> yeah. And so that's going to be a big part of our KTT too. So we can put out some numbers, you know, like if this, what, if you're looking at uh, implementing this practice, here's what you can expect to it to cost you, but here are the benefits. So you can weigh that information yourself to decide if you it's something you want to adopt. Awesome. And I think that's going to be really fun, fun to get out there. So, you know, we're going to be everywhere. We're going to have, we're going to be at the NSFFA booths at trade shows. Uh, people are going to hear about the Living Labs all the time over the next uh, four and a half <laughs> years. If you're interested in becoming um, one of the sites, or if you're interested in participating, uh, there's still um, we're still looking for partners. And Carolyn has already mentioned this, but I'd like to, I guess, re-emphasize the fact that you really are a collaborator on the project. Um, uh, one of the interesting things about the the Living Labs project, and one of the things that I really like is that there's room to make adjustments. And so if you want to participate, and you want to be a research site, um, you will in fact be a collaborator. And so, if you know, it doesn't have to be stringent what we do over the four years, you'll have time to input and give us feedback and make changes and participate. So um, yeah, we are still looking for some some partners. And so if you're interested in that, please reach out to the Federation myself or Carolyn or anyone at the Federation. And then moving forward, if you're interested in learning more about what we're doing, coming out to our field days, um, for sure, the Federation probably will be your main way to find those resources. So through the newsletter, through the website, through social media, and also probably through our partners as well. So through Perennia, 
and clean Annapolis River projects. So looking at some of their um, social media will probably be going up through our commodity partners as well. But yeah, definitely the Federation will be one of the main sources of ways that you can find out how to get involved, how to participate and learn about what we're doing throughout the project. Can you talk a little bit about how the Living Labs model differs from um, and also complements the research being done by organizations such as AAFC or the universities, like you mentioned, um, and then industry groups such as the Atlantic Grains Council? Yeah, so Catherine and I both have experience doing research for, for universities and you usually have a very specific variable that you're trying to measure. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of controls in place to make sure that all of your external forces are the same. So the, you know, it's in one site. So it's all got the same weather and mm. all has the same soil type and it's all very nicely replicated, which is really good when you're trying to get information about, you know, that one particular variable and it, and it provides a lot of really valuable basic information on how the mm. system is working. But we're looking like it's very farm scale. So it's, you know, the whole system as a whole. So our sites are not going to be all the same. So we're doing the same management practices, uh, but the farms maybe are growing different crops or they're right. using different inputs. Um, so it's not as tightly controlled as, you know, maybe your typical research trial is, but that really also makes it much more applicable and yep. uh, like in the moment kind of uh, information for producers. And then Catherine mentioned, you know, the feedback. So there's a constant feedback between the producers and, and the partners. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to keep it the same for four years. If you, if the farmer says this practice isn't working for me because of X, mm -hmm. then we can sit down with them and kind of brainstorm, how can we change it? to get rid of X or change X. So it's not a static project, um, which most larger, um, or not larger, but I guess typical research projects, you know, you can't just change it halfway through, but that's, that meets the goals of this project. You know, if right. it's not gonna work for the farms, then we're not gonna do it because uh, then we're not gonna get that adoption in the end. It mm -hmm. has to be something that is practical and is reasonable. So. If we plant a riparian zone and they're like, oh, the species you planted is no good. It's it's coming into the field. It's turning into mm. a weed. You know, we don't want that situation. So no. you know, picking picking the plants with the producer and just those lines of communication are, are staying open. So it's much more, uh, I know the AASC level calls it the innovation cycle. So you're just each each season, you talk about what, what went well, what didn't, and how can you change it? So it adjusts every year. It's like a, it's a living lab and it's a living project. So the project is changing and evolving. Also, I would, I would say too, to add to that, Carolyn, like it's custom, somewhat customized, right? So we have common goals that we would like to see across the sites in terms of, let's say, the land swap, swap for example, but we don't have to do the exact same thing on every farm either. So mm. not only can we make changes to the project as we move through, we can also make changes, site-specific changes too. And that I think will be really valuable for producers because yeah. maybe what works at one farm won't work as well at another farm. And so we're going to have lots of troubleshooting, which is um, exciting and daunting, but I think <laughs> that will allow for a lot of good conversation and a lot of information for producers. Yeah, definitely. So 
are the different sites, are they replicates of one another or is it more of like just a general concept and trying it in a lot of different environments? Yeah, I would say it's it's a bit of both. So it's the okay. same practice being tried yeah. on all the farms. So we'll be able to pool that data and look generally. Right. So, you know, when we take a, a horticulture field and swap it into a pasture, what does that do for carbon across all the sites? Mm -hmm. um, but I think too, it's it's also like more like some analysis will be done with everything pooled all together, mm -hmm. but then uh, highlighting the differences as well. So there'll be kind of those two messages will come out to say that, you know, like in general, it stores this much carbon, but if you have this system, maybe you can expect, this is what you can expect. And if you have right. your system looks like this, you can expect this other outcome. Yeah, no, that's really cool. It, uh, it'll be able to show such a broad range of of things because everybody does things a little bit differently and it'll be nice to have kind of that range of outcomes rather than as you said a more controlled environment or a more controlled experiment where you know you get kind of one answer but what's it going to look like everywhere else yeah 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 and we're Catherine and I are you know we're getting out we've been out in the field once already and we're, and we're hoping to go out next week on um, some of the land swap and repairing sites to start collecting that that data because soil carbon is very tricky to measure it the amount of carbon that's in the soil is huge mm -hmm. and so to move the needle on that you have to add a lot of carbon it can take years so the sooner we okay. start measuring the the more likely we are to detect differences so a lot of these practices we may only see a small increase in carbon over the the four and a half years left in the project, but mm -hmm. uh, that's just the nature of soil carbon. It's just a tricky, tricky one to measure. Yeah. And you mean, even having a four and a half, five year project is, is so lengthy compared to what we can mm -hmm. often do with, um, with research, just the way the funding works and stuff like that. So it'll be really exciting to kind of see how things get started and, and then hopefully be able to watch them continue on um, after, I mean, at, even after the life of the project. So, Yes, I hope so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And um, I'm sure that everybody will be eagerly awaiting more information on- We'll have uh, to come back and do another episode. Yeah, we'll have to do like a, a revisit after, after we have at least a season um, behind us. So yeah, Great. stay tuned. Coming up this spring, there'll be things going into the ground. Yes, very exciting. Excellent. Yeah, All right, thank you us. so much. Yeah. Thanks, Caitlin. Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Outstanding in the Field. Stay tuned for a written summary coming up in the next edition of the CropLinks newsletter, which you can subscribe to by visiting our website. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on future episodes. Follow us on social media at NSPerennia. Thanks to Perennia for supporting this podcast and our marketing and communications team for production and design. 